Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. All right, everybody, welcome back to One Broken Mom. Um, I have a guest on, and to be honest with you, I don't even remember how we've gotten connected, but somehow uh, started following each other's Instagram accounts. Um, I think probably when you throw out like terms like mental health and mental health awareness and stuff like that, um, you know, lots of cool people end up in your newsfeed. And, um, and so he's on today. And I have to say, because, you know, first of all, if you go to one of his posts, um, some of his posts are hilarious because uh, he's got quite the sense of humor. So that's always capturing and captivating. But he actually had an Instagram video that he posted a few weeks ago uh, talking about veterans and suicide awareness. And I watched the video. It's strong. It's powerful. It's compelling. It's not funny um, because the topic is not funny at all. And I asked him to be on today because uh, this episode is publishing in September of 2020. And September is Suicide Awareness Prevention uh, Month, Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. I think it gets wrapped up in a lot of different hashtags. But the point is, is that we all emphasize, you know, raising this awareness level of suicide and how prevalent it is in the United States and worldwide. And he is a veteran who's going to talk specifically about that aspect of it, which I have not covered yet on the show. And so I want to welcome you, Jonah, to, uh, to One Broken Mom this morning, this afternoon, whenever. <laughs> How's it going? Thanks for having me. Sure. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, I Hopefully you weren't too skeptical when I first reached out to you about why I was asking you to do the show with me. Um, like I said, I'm used to having coaches and therapists and authors and stuff like that, but I do like reach out because I, I think that other people's experiences and stories, like they're all, you know, invaluable. And sometimes when the experts come on the show, they're, they're cool to learn from, but sometimes they're, they, they seem like they're a little unrelatable for everybody else. And I do get messages from lots of people, you know, that are listening to the program and some of them are actually military, either active military or veterans or, you know, family members um, of it. And so this is the first time that, like I said, I have tackled the topic specifically here. And, um, and so you're not a coach, right? Like you don't have some cool self-help program yet available no, for I've, anybody. I've, I've coached little league and youth football. Does that count? Yeah, it's close. <laughs> no, I, I'm not like a certified life coach or, or anything like that. No. Um, or I wouldn't necessarily even call myself an expert in anything, but, um, like you said, I am a veteran. I'm retired army. I was medically retired from the army after a little over 10 years. I am a, a parent as well, which is one reason why your podcast name caught my attention. Um, we're all broken parents inside, right? We're broken kids that grow up to be broken parents that have kids ourselves. Um, 
so yeah, I'm not really sure how we came across that, but it's uh, interesting that we connected. And in my video, um, you you had mentioned that it wasn't very funny, and I find that comment especially humorous because the veteran community, specifically um, the veteran community around me, that's had a lot of struggles with the mental health and the different aspects, they find that video hilarious. <laughs> Um, specifically one part where I asked a friend of mine, um, Adam Schumann, who was the inspiration for a movie called Thank You for Your Service. His part in the movie, he kind of mocks the challenge in kind of a funny way. So, mm-hmm. but we, had, we, had, we wanted to get what our community is feeling about the challenge because right. there, there's, a, there's a lot of people um, outside of that community thinking they're helping and the community, the, the veterans who have been suicidal or who have had the extreme mental health problems, we don't like those videos. <laughs> and, and I say we, um, I, and I, I surveyed as many of my combat veteran friends or, or veteran friends that I knew regarding this video before I made it. So am I in the wrong here? I was asking them, do we all feel like this? And I honestly couldn't tell you one person who said, no, no, we don't feel like that. Mm-hmm. So that, that was kind of where the video came from. And I just got a bunch of cool software for my comedy stuff. So I was like, I'm going to try and make a video, <laughs> figure out this Adobe Premiere thing. So that's kind of how it came to be. Yeah, it's a, and it's a really well done um, and it's great. And I will have a link to your Instagram account in the podcast notes for everybody to kind of jump in so they get a chance to be able to, to watch that. Um, and it, you know, I also, part of my day job, we were talking a little bit about our day jobs outside of this. Uh, you know, I wish that I was a professional podcaster. It'd be amazing if I could do this all the time, but I can, I've got my own bills to pay. And I work in the field of healthcare workers and there is a, in, in, in these kind of like high conflict, intense fields, there, there does appear to be this um, almost an impenetrable bubble, like a, the camaraderie and the understanding that builds up because of the type of person who goes into this field and works on it on a day-to-day basis that, you know, I feel like sometimes a naturalist because I'm not, this is a nursing agency and I don't have nursing experience. So I'm, a, I'm in there for my business acumen, not necessarily because I understand what it means to be a nurse. And I can imagine that's the same way with the military. You know, my, my biological dad was in the air force, but you know, that's a blip on my radar because um, my stepdad was in the army, but you know, their service records are so far behind them in my past. I can't say that they had a huge influence on me or given me a depth of understanding of the military. But if I were to, you know, compare what I see in the nursing field um, you know, there's a lot of, man, I, you know, people don't understand, right? So you've got people on the outside trying to tell people on the inside what they should or shouldn't be doing with their lives or how they should or shouldn't be treating themselves or, you know, all of that. And um, I can imagine then it's, it's frustrating, you know, to have a bunch of people that don't have your experience, you know, deciding for you what's the best route forward, you know, for whatever it is or whatever challenge that you might have. Yep. Now, how did you, um, you know, why did you decide to enlist? Let's start there with your military career. Um, back up to 18 years old. I, I knew I was going to be in the military. My grandfather was a fighter pilot in the Air Force. And I remember specifically one picture of him in his uniform, black and white photo. So, so pretty old. Um, and his family were on the porch. And it was just like the the pride that was coming from my grandfather in that picture, I knew from a young age, I was like, whatever that is, I want that. (laughs) And then uh, 
And then some years later in my preteens, I got to experience the banter that the military has. Um, my grandfather being Air Force and his brother being Navy would just go back and forth with crude comment. They didn't care who was around. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> so um, I joined the Air Force right away after high school, got in a little bit of trouble before I was able to leave for boot camp. And the Air Force said that I couldn't do that. I couldn't join their service anymore. Fast forward to getting off probation a couple of years later and the army recruiter was right there to welcome me with open arms, <laughs> which, which I, I look back now and it's definitely a blessing because I, I don't think the Air Force would have provided for me what the army did. Mm-hmm. So it worked out. Now, did I see that you are a f- former medic? Yep. I was a medic. um, And then at some point in my career, I transitioned towards physical therapy assistant for a little while, Mm -hmm. but I was in the medical field for all 10 plus years. Yep. Okay. Now we're talking about mental health and you're pretty honest with sharing that your own, you know, kind of battles, wars, you know, and constant growth that you're dealing with is PTSD and anxiety. You know, were these things that you felt like you were carrying with you into the military that you didn't know were already in your backpack or did you end up having some experiences while serving that actually you know uh, kind of set you into this uh, world of you know suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts and I think you even put in drinking and stuff like that I mean all the kind of negative you know uh, behaviors that some of us pick up when we're you know kind of dealing um that's a that's a challenging question to answer in my opinion I think um, we are the outcome of our experiences type of deal, right? So if, if I was to say that I didn't have some inclination of, of trauma before I joined the military, I would def- definitely be lying. Uh, I had a biological dad who was a monster, um, you name it, that type of deal. Um, but I definitely think the things that I experienced in my military career, not just from deployment, but I had some other incidences Um, they compound upon each other. And you had kind of mentioned it before we started recording, excuse me, about how, how it's kind of a compound of life experiences that leads up to an explosion. And I use the, I use the analogy of um, picture like a big Roman Colosseum or something in its heyday. It's beautiful. There's columns all around it, hundreds of them. Well, over time, those columns, those support systems, excuse me, they start to wear and tear. They start to crack, natural erosion, then war. So you'd get a whole side of that coliseum taken out. And now the the physics of what held that building up aren't in place anymore. And that's that's what I equate my experience to. My coliseum was a little damaged and then had some heavy hitters. To the to where it got to the point where the coliseum was not going to make it much longer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think it really is, it's a combination of a lot of things, but then, but then we have to talk about what about the, the men and women that I served right next to that had the exact same experiences as me during that year. Um, and they had no problems when they came home. Like what are the, what are the underlying factors, the common denominators that were different for us that came out to a different solution? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, which is really, I think the military has spent some time actually looking into that, like with resilience training, you know, and understanding. I know that um, the, you know, I think the 
kind of not paying enough attention to what happens coming in before, a, you know, a, a military career starts is where people are starting to go. I mean, we can't underestimate, you know, tough life experiences. Like, you know, um, we all handle them differently. We all, depending on our support systems, you know, and what that architecture look like. And that's a great analogy of using it because that's actually a, you know, term that's used quite often in, you know, neuroscience development is that it's brain architecture and you either have strong supports in some areas or you have weak supports in, in other areas. Um, when you are looking at your military um, experience, did you start to feel a little bit of that collapse happening or was it after you actually retired and stepped away from it that, you know, that things got worse or different or, you know, whatever. My collapse started actually very early in my career before I even deployed. Um, about a year, less than a year after I had joined my ex-wife now, and I found her friend and her husband in a murder, excuse me, in a murder-suicide. Um, it was, we were not ready for it. We were not prepared. We were actually supposed to have Sunday Easter dinner at their house and we found them Sunday. So I was kind of rattled before I ever went overseas. Um, that, that shot was a real big one to my columns. Um, that's when I started self-medicating quite a bit. The, the things that I would see when I closed my eyes, it was like I was back in that house every day, every. Um, and so that was a really big hit. And then shortly after we found out that we were pregnant with our now only son and I got a mental pause from that because at that point there was something to look forward to. There was something positive coming into our lives. Um, and then, so I, I actually kind of rebounded pretty quick. Didn't drink as much when my son came around um, and then deployed. And then when it was at the coming home from the deployment was tough because there's there was a lot of reintegrating back into a family life that a lot of people I don't think they think of. So for example, my ex-wife was a single parent for a year, meaning she was responsible for the bathing, the clothing, the day-to-day the -day operations of the household. And so now I come in and I want to help. I want to do things, but she's already got this system that she's perfected. And now there's this outside influence and it's throwing chaos so why we look forward to coming home as much, just coming back creates an immense amount of chaos. Mm -hmm. And it just, it just kept rolling after that um, divorce. Um, and then um, I, I got in a lot of sticky situations towards the end of my career that led to my medical retirement. The army basically said, your mental health is not good. We could not send you back to war, um, which they were absolutely right uh, to include, you know, suicidal ideations, um, slamming my car into a wall at 60 miles an hour, all kinds of craziness happening in a short period of time. But it really bubbled after I got out because I was removed from the last support I had it, at the time, what I thought was my military career. Everything else, all my supports have already gone. I get my son every other weekend, not very satisfying. I don't have a wife, you know. So when the military handed me the medical retirement. That was the blow that just spiraled downhill and ended up getting arrested, losing my son, um, nearly overdosing, all kinds of stuff. 
it was just, it was one big thing after the other within maybe three years. And it was just, it got to the point where it was just too much. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's where we all come, right? Whether it was military or civilian or what have you, it's the point of too much. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I'm not sure anybody can prepare. Like, I don't believe that's in the checklist of life to prepare for finding a friend, you know, and, you know, two friends murdered and, uh, you know, death by suicide. I, I don't, like, I can't even imagine that that being something that anybody would have to deal with. And it's really, I, I'm sorry, God, that's just like, I can imagine, uh, I, I wouldn't know what to do with myself there. So I think that that's like, I did said, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you, right. you said you weren't prepared for it. I'm like, again, I don't remember that being in the checklist of adult <laughs> life that we, that's the thing that we skip out over, right? All right, 20 yeah. years old. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, had you had suicidal thoughts before your military, you know, before you got into that? I'm just, and I'm curious because sometimes people that I've talked to on the show, like it's been a persistent part of their life since they were like eight, you know, and then, um, you know, and then for some people it's, it it is the sum of many things where like, you know, I, I thought I was really digging life and then now I'm just like, fuck this. Like, no, I can't like, why? Um, yeah. Um, I, I, don't think I, I struggled with suicidal ideations. I definitely think that I had some confusion growing up about the world around me that led to a lot of anxiety, um, some attention seeking behavior, but I wouldn't put it to the point of suicidal or, or suicidal ideations that came much later. Um, the first time was 2000, I don't know, 14 or 15. And that, that led to me being hospitalized and, and which eventually led to my military retirement. It was kind of later after a lot of those columns had fallen. Cause I was, I've always been tough, right. Or the, mm-hmm. the guy that can always, I was the first one on top of the mountain or I was the whatever cocky bullshit you want to <laughs> put out there. But so it was, uh, it took a lot for me to let, let it be known that my Coliseum was falling apart. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Did, Which, oh, go ahead. Well, well, I was going to ask you, I mean, is that an unusual story? You know, a bunch of tough guys in the military. I mean, I'm going to look at this from the outside looking in, right? Like when we look at the, you know, our American military system and the people that are in it, there's, um, there's an expectation that, I mean, obviously you volunteered to go die for our country. So you must be the toughest of the tough. And if you demonstrate anything other than that, then obviously you are unfit to be in it. I mean, that's just kind of like the the mythology that we have around it. Um, Does that make it easy for any of you that need it to actually ask for help when you do? That's a good question. And I think it really has to be broken up into a couple of different segments. So, so once you're in the military and I've been out for a couple of years now, 2016, I retired, but there is definitely the tough guy mentality, right? I used to joke around that the military is full of all the jocks who couldn't make it in college and and depending on what your job is there's definitely some of that alpha male or alpha female type of mentality um i never took that stance in the sense i think partially because i was medical but um i knew when we found our friends in 2007 that my life had forever been changed and if i didn't do something i was going to be a wreck so the first thing I did was I walked into my boss's office uh, Monday morning. I was like, we got to talk. What do I do? 
whatever the repercussions were at that point, I didn't care because I was in such dire need. Um, and that's kind of what got me back to getting help again, 10 years later. Yeah. I, I have to be in such dire need that any stigmas around what mental health might be, I don't care because it's life or death. Mm-hmm. But I, I, and then, so fast forward to veterans, I think that's changing. I think the veteran community, especially my generation of veterans, we're talking out more. We're, we're, a lot of us are coming to the other side of those troubles. And now we're like, hey, young bucks coming out. Listen up. This is not the way to do things. Do it, but whatever you have to do. So I do take part in a couple of veteran nonprofits that do different outings for veterans. And we're trying to mentor each other as well as the next generation of, that, of the veterans that come out. Because I'm tougher than half of them. And I go get help. So mm-hmm. tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> that's what yeah. kind of the deal we take now. Well, that's, uh, I have wondered and I've had this conversation with another friend of mine who um, is involved in the military. And, uh, and I asked, and maybe you know a little bit about this, but, you know, what happens the first day somebody enlists? You know, is, it, is there any changes in the military that you may or may not, you know, maybe it's happening, maybe it's not, and should it, if we don't really know how the past experiences may get compounded once we start a career. It's like, to me, it's like a preemptive strike of really kind of setting the the ground and the foundation with somebody coming in of like, Hey, let's see where you're going. Let's see what we're working with here as we develop your military career and make sure that, you know, the whole system doesn't collapse under the weight of everything because what you're exposed to in the military is above and beyond your Amazon job, you know, or anything else that you've got going on. And to me, it feels like we have to, you know, we should. And again, I'm going to say I'm on the bubble looking in telling the military how or what they should do with their own industry. And I don't know that. So, you know, take it for, you know, for what it's worth. But being somebody that's been in it, do you think that there's any merit to that? Or is that the wrong approach to take with new people coming in and saying right from day one, let's make sure you're strong and ready to go and do it in a way that doesn't feel like they're being judged or shamed or anything like that? I don't know if it's feasible unless we come up with some kind of, and I've kind of joked about this a lot. We need some type of objective scanning where they can just plug my brain in and be like, no, no, this kid's had too much. Send him down to the coast guard or whatever. (laughs) But I just, I don't think that that exists. And then, and then we run the risk of, you know, kids. uh, I have a lot of friends who came from trouble, trouble childhoods, joined the military and flourished would we then want to run the risk of maybe never allowing that to happen? Um, so, I mean, you're, you, I would love for that to be a thing. Realistically, I feel like it's the military's job to do a better, a better job noticing, identifying, and dealing with the issue at hand right when it happens, before they get out, before they're veterans, before they go on the next deployment. But it's a, uh, The military, it's federal government. They do a lot of good things on paper, but when it comes down to getting that down to the lowest level, down to the line units, to the everyday soldiers, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's policy after policy. They make us go to classes. They make us um, take classes when we're exiting the military, but there's such a bridge from the efforts the department of defense is making to what's actually taking place. At least while I was in, it's just, it's kind of just check this box, do this PowerPoint, but we don't really give a shit. Mm -hmm. The bureaucracy, right? The thing that we don't like about, yeah, about that. Um, 
Well, it's a daunting, I mean, it's a daunting topic, but yet it's, you know, to me, it's that they're, you and I are having a conversation because we're talking about saving lives, right? And, you know, there's a lot of industries changing in the last few years that are talking about trauma-informed care, trauma-informed schools, trauma-informed parenting. You know, it, it seems like if, as we're talking here about military veterans killing themselves, then trauma-informed, a trauma-informed military would not be a terrible thing to you know, to consider. Seems like too, though, philosophically speaking, I feel like we have to have beer. Like this is the conversation you have at a bar when, you know, you can say whatever you want, but, um, you know, how do you treat trauma at the same time and maintain a level that allows you to be willing to, again, do what you have to do, which is at the most extreme case, go out and die for your country. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's um, tough. I think that the, the, Final solution to that is processing time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if the military has gotten better with that. Um, for example, coming back, it, it's just in the military is very forward progressive or forward moving mentality. Everything's what's happening next, where are we going? What's the mission? There's no, there's very little pause. What just happened? Holy shit. Maybe we need to take a breather. There's very little of that. And mm -hmm. so and I think that adds to the Coliseum effect because I never stopped and fixed that one pillar because I couldn't, I had the next mission. I had the next whatever. And I think that's one big problem uh, in society as a whole. But when we talk about trauma, I, I look at it from the stances while I was in the military and some of my trauma comes from that. You as a non-veteran could have experienced very, uh, a very high amount of trauma there is no difference past the experience, right? And what I mean by that is what trauma does to our brains with the flooding of, emo of the, I'm having a brain fart, with the, <laughs> uh, happens a lot, a couple brain injuries too. Um, but when they flood, the floods our brain with all these different emotions and chemicals, and then there's an actual damage to the brain, like PTSD, right? There's a physical damage to portions of the brain. And then we can get away from the, from the idea of your trauma and I maybe I'm speaking from the veteran experience but there's a lot of comparing trauma in my community right mm -hmm. well my trauma was this your trauma was only that when we break it down to a, a biological or physiological level our brains don't know the difference mm -hmm. brain says holy shit something happened now it's weird and that's mm -hmm. across the board whether you're a victim of sexual assault or or assault or police brutality, whatever the trauma is, we're all on the same playing field. Mm -hmm. So whatever we can, I, I read the book Tried by Sebastian, I want to say his name's Younger. Have you ever heard of that book, Tried? Uh -huh. No. I highly recommend it when it comes to mental health, but he takes an approach of, from the military of countries that have a mandatory civil service have some of the lowest um, suicide rates in the world. And he was kind of breaking down why that happens. Well, if you come back from an experience and everyone around you has already experienced that, you're not an outcast. You're not, <clears throat> you're not on the outskirts. They know how to deal with these like, hey, come here, young buck. Like, this is the way we're going to do it. And we lack that in our country big time. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I didn't even, I, that wasn't anything that I was actually aware of. It makes sense though, right? Because we're all in this together, right? There is no them and us because of our voluntary system, uh, you know, for the military. Um, that's fascinating. That's an interesting book too. So I'm going to look that one up and it's a very easy, that. very easy read too. 
Okay, cool. Um, so then what prompted you to just go ahead and, and do this video? Um, I mean, aside from the fact that you had some recording equipment and thought, why not? <laughs> um, well, I started to speak out about kind of my experience through Instagram and social media in 2017, early 2018, after I'd almost died um, due to my addiction. And the reason why I started talking out about it is because a childhood friend had OD'd a couple months after I did and died. And very few of us, I mean, we knew he was having some issues because of stuff that he had posted online, but it wasn't anything out of the norm. And then he's dead. And I was like, well, shit. Three months ago, I was right there on that doorstep and I didn't tell anybody. I think like five people knew that I almost died. Um, and so I, I took that really personal. If I, maybe if I would have been more vocal about my experience, maybe Adam would still be here. Maybe he would have called me. Maybe he would have called someone else. Um, and so that's when I started getting vocal about my experience, which fast forward to the video is the idea that doing a challenge to save someone's life coming from someone who's been on the edge of suicide. The last thing on my mind was, did Steve do his fucking pushups today? It's I'm sorry. Like it's just not there. And it's so disconnected and so disingenuous from, from the mission statement of the challenge that it it's insulting to me. I hate it. It, it boils my blood. And when I see other veterans doing it, which kind of prompted the video, I was tagged by another veteran and uh, it, it just boils my blood because it's, uh, in my opinion, it's a me, me, me thing, right? Because, um, and I think the majority of those 22 push-up challenges that I see, they put the suicide awareness number or hotline. Have you ever called those? Any of them? I have. Oh, I have. I, the hotlines? The hotlines yeah. are? Yeah. Listen, if I don't want to call someone that's very close to me that knows me intimately and tell them that I'm struggling me personally, I'm not going to call a complete stranger who probably hasn't had the life experiences that I have and just blurt out everything to them. Mm -hmm. My problem's never been talking about it. I could tell you about it. It's what happens after that. That's been kind of the issue. So um, I, it took me a long time to make that video weeks because I wanted to, I didn't want to offend anyone in the sense that some people, I actually called a civilian friend of mine who did this challenge. And I said, what does this challenge mean to you before I tell you what it means to me? And her answer was genuine. I mean, she wants to do something for the veteran community. The problem is the veteran community isn't telling the, the civilian community what we need done. Mm -hmm. And so, so the civilian community just comes up with ideas. Um, that's not working because suicide rates and like I said in the video amongst women veterans is is growing rapidly. Mm -hmm. So we got to do something different. Well, yeah. so then this is your platform, Jonah. That's what we're here to talk about then today is what do we need to do as the as the outsider looking in as the person of good intentions, you know, of wanting to save lives, of not understanding what would need to be done differently to support the veteran community because there is a, you know, you know, suicide's complex for everybody. Um, but again, as we've talked about, if you already come into a high conflict, high stress, you know, life threatening do or die type of a career on top of, you know, 
some of the things that many of us have experienced in the course of our lives, there is a, a different sense of urgency, not more urgent, less urgent or whatever, but it's different for this. So where do you think we have to go? The, you know, the average person who, you know, can't do 22 push-ups um, and doesn't want a virtue signal, you know, that they're supporting it this week or, you know, whatnot. I mean, what's right. substantial? What is substantial things for us? Um, I, th I think the biggest thing is get a veteran connected, right? Uh, there's a, a VA study that's published every year based on suicide rates and kind of breaks down who are the veterans that are killing themselves? Are they the ones that have seen combat? Are they not? Are they the ones that are um, integrated into the VA healthcare system or have they never been in the system? Those kind of things kind of point some light to what's happening. And those that are in the system tend to commit suicide less. Um, and I think that starts with the veteran service officers, the easiest way to start. And I put that in the video it, uh, there's veteran service officers across this entire country. Um, here in Minnesota, they, they have county veteran service officers, they have state veteran service officers, VA uh, service officers. And they're kind of like a one-stop shop for veteran things. So if a veteran just knows who that person is, then when things get rough, when we lose our jobs, when we lose our homes, when we lose the things around us, we know who to start with at least. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's super important. And the other thing is we have to build communities. I started with the idea that we have to build communities around veterans, right? Because a veteran uh, that has purpose, that has gainful employment, that has housing, that has gainful relationships, they're probably not going to kill themselves. So build a community around a veteran. But recently in 2020, we need to build a community around everyone. <laughs> it is. I don't know if you watch the news, but Minnesota's a little wilding out right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's just it, the community. We have so much more in common than we have differences. And once we get around that, um, and uh, the veteran community is interesting because we come, I come across a lot of veterans who have the uh, what did you do mentality or the towards civilians. Um, and I shouldn't, uh, how do I put this? It's an adult show. Just go ahead and say veterans, whatever you want to say. <laughs> there, there are some veterans who have no problem furthering the gap between the veteran and civilian community because mm -hmm. the civilian community can't understand or they don't know or they don't, whatever. Um, and it is my attempt to bring that gap shorter and shorter because we are the civilian community. We're all Americans. We just had a really, really weird job for a while, but that's not who we are today. And that we're still in these cities, in these counties, sending our kids to these schools. We have to break that. Mm -hmm. So, so I'll put a link for how somebody could find their veteran support officer like in their area, there is a, there is a, like a place here. I am the non-vet asking the dumb question. There's a place where I can find that information that I can share it with somebody. That's the tricky part. So there is something called a County veteran service officer or an organization that kind of uh, accumulates them all, but not all 50 States have them. Oh. So what I recommend is telling people just to literally Google those three words, veteran service officer, and Google will pull up whatever organization is around you. Um, the, vet the VFW or the American Legion, if you're looking for a specific um, organization, they'll have links. Okay. But and is there, are, 
are these officers ready to support somebody who's having suicidal thoughts? Good question. I don't think that uh, it would be like going to your county register and telling them that you have suicidal thoughts. <laughs> Probably not the best idea. Um, they're, they're administrative type folks. These are not VA or mental health folks. If that is the case, they'll know emergency contacts to call or they mm -hmm. should. Mm -hmm. um, so who do, who do we contact when we're in an emergency situation then would be the thing, right? Mm -hmm. I get that's the person, the people around you it comes all back to community. And I'm not going to call the veteran service officer and tell him to come to my house and talk me down off the ledge. Do you think, uh, and I mean, you, you can't speak for everybody, so maybe you can just speak for yourself, but is there a, you know, is, it, is there a stronger code of silence about letting out, you know, someone's pain and suffering when they've been in the military? I, I mean, imagine there's actually a lot of people that feel that, but I'm just curious, you know, if we know military veterans, you know, again, I feel like a naturalist in the world here, but, you know, asking somebody to reach out to you when they have such a strong inclination to not say anything can be challenging, right? Like, I think we all intend to do that. A lot of us actually say, like, please let me know you're having a problem. But when you speak with military veterans, are they less inclined to even accept that openness and helpfulness from people that maybe aren't, you know, in the military? Sure. I think, um, I think veterans, like most of the population, is we're going to reach out to someone who has the closest known experience. So if I'm having a specific issue with, let's say, the nightmares or the anxiety, something very specific to my combat experience, my general inclination is to reach out to someone who's had something similar. Because they're like, oh, you're being dumb or... Yep, I remember that just happened last week. You'll be fine. Stop being a pussy or whatever. Um, we use very vulgar language and terms, but really that when my platoon sergeant says that to me, that's, hey, man, you're going to be all right. Like, I'm here, you know? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I can see why from the outside, that statement might look at as like, as like shaming, getting help, but it's not. Um, so I think that kind of goes along with, with like, if I have an issue, like, my car breaks down and it just throws me into a whirlwind. I don't know how I'm going to fix it. I'm probably not going to call a veteran friend. It's not relatable. It's not applicable. So whoever's closest to that issue or concern for whatever reason is who I think they're going to reach out to. I'm mm -hmm. trying to force like my civilian friends, make sure you call me if you're having PTSD troubles. And they're like, what the fuck is this guy? He's a weirdo. <laughs> I think we just have to know who's who we know has our back. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. I mean, my, my anxiety comes heavily from PTSD, but I have extreme anxiety about parenting that has nothing to do with combat. If I call one of my veteran friends with no kids, he's going to be like, well, I don't know what to tell you. So I might reach out to, you know, a friend who's a civilian, but has kids and be like, they're all right. They'll make it to school. You'll be fine or whatever. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, it does. And it, so what's cropping up into my head is, you know, the organizations that may be out there that are for specifically for veteran support in the areas of suicide awareness and prevention. Are there any that you've had some experience with or anything like that? That Because um, I'll, I'll, I'll find them. Like I'm the researcher nerd. So once we're done here, I'll look sure. them all up and I'll attack them to, you know, attach them to the podcast. Sure. 
Um, there's a lot of things for veterans to get connected uh, within the veteran community and these different organizations. Um, here in Minnesota, at the DAV, which I believe stands for the Disabled American Veterans, I probably messed that up. Um, they do they do free hunting trips. Uh, the nearest base up here in Minnesota that I've done a couple times. Uh, I just got back from a golfing trip that was all veterans or mostly veterans. Um, so there's a lot of things like that for us to get involved with. People don't hear about them. There's mm -hmm. a disconnect between the organizations that are trying to engulf as many veterans as they can and the veterans that are hearing about them. So really they, they're in every county and every state, there's things for the veterans of all experiences on all careers to take part in. Mm -hmm. uh, it's well, just, just a matter of finding it. But the VFW and the American Legion and the DAV are some of the biggest ones. Okay. All right. And I'll find some links to include in there because if what you're saying is one of the most important things is to get a vet connected and kind of in a community, whatever that community is and whatever, you know, feels the most authentic to who they are, right? Um, right. being able to find them in there, then it probably enhances and builds the opportunity that they'll have somebody that has some other shared experiences with them, which is really ultimately it's the kind of overcoming the feeling that you're alone and right. unsupported, you know. And that's not just a veteran thing, right? Right. right. That's, we're all the same. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah, all humans. We, it's weird. We, we don't like feeling alone. Right. Not good. And in this, in 2020, is September 18th, I think a lot of us are feeling alone with the weird stuff that's happening and being isolated in our homes. And so we need to continue to build those communities and connections. And that's how we're going to make it through this. Politicians are going to help us with suicide and all these other issues. Yeah. Pen, no. pen to paper doesn't do much. No, <laughs> not really. The bureaucracy and the checklists. No, definitely right. not. I think the only other important thing to mention with veteran suicide specifically is the, the lack of purpose uh, was the only thing I missed from my notes. We come from a community where we're walking down the street in your work uniform, because that's essentially what our camos are, right? Um, people stop and they look at you different. There's a, there's a little uh, sense of national pride in the sense like there's one of ours or that, you know, and when and we're a part of something bigger we have plans and goals and things and then when we take that uniform off and we walk down the street in our new work uniform we're just the the guy with long hair and the beard and mm -hmm. there's a, a lot of veterans that get out regardless of whether they ever deployed who feel like they don't have a sense of purpose anymore and we need to we need to find veterans purpose on the smallest level Mm -hmm. Because I think veterans have this grander idea, right? Like someone who's coming out of a suicidal situation that they have to change the world. But what about what's going on at home? Have that veteran change the world at home, figure out how to parent better, how to be a better spouse, how to, to increase their income, do whatever. And then once that's mastered-ish, <laughs> then work your way out, right? What's your neighbor doing? What's your community doing? And, and that type of idea... So I, I'm, I'm going to change the world in the fact that my son's never going to shoot up a school. I know that, right? Because I'm taking the extra time and attention to make sure that my son's not only a productive part of society, but it actually contributes more than, than your average person. And that's me changing the world. That's my purpose now to where I don't have to end terrorism. I don't have to save the world from Osama bin Laden types. 
-hmm. I still have a purpose and it's here at home. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very important thing for a lot of us to, to think of. We have purpose outside of a job or a title or what have you. Mm -hmm. That's actually, to be honest with you, that is not a thought that even ever occurred to me in the sense of, but as you're talking through it, it's like, yeah, we see the, um, you know, everybody loves to share the video of the first class person giving up their seat for a military that coming in or a service member that's going home or, uh, you know, all this stuff. And I can imagine when, when you have that sense of pride of being associated with something, because I mean, you know, I, I don't know about your age, but you know, I remember back in the 80s when we were still talking about like the mistreatment of veterans coming home from Vietnam and, you know, vastly different and how we could not do that again to our military. You know, we couldn't ostracize them. We couldn't blame them. We couldn't hate them, you know, for, you know, being involved in, you know, some foreign conflict. And so the, you know, I, the direction shift, like the winds changed to making sure that we showed all this appreciation. But you're right. When the uniform's gone, you don't look, you know, you don't look like you're in that you know, you're in that job anymore. You, you look like the rest of us, right? And if you're, if you don't know what's next, I mean, all of us, I mean, kind of can feel that way, right? If there are people that still struggle with, like, I just don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And it bothers me that I just, I haven't connected, you know, I want to connect with something, but I don't know what that bigger meaning is or that bigger idea is. But coming from a military perspective of, you know, when I'm wearing the uniform, people look at me differently. And then when I take it off, nobody looks at me at all can be a jarring, I would imagine for some, right. not all, but for some. How about like those welcome home videos, right? Where the, uh, the soldier service member creeps into the kid's class to surprise them coming home, right? Do and you I not cry, cry every time, every, every time, time. <laughs> every time. Um, <laughs> there's a funny story behind some of those. It's, it's a little planned, but um, at the same time, when I go home, when I come home early from my work job or my nine to five now, and I sneak into my kid's class, they're like, what's this guy doing? This is super creepy. So it's like, yeah, we're, we, the admiration that we once had for doing something noble and outside of ourselves gets stripped from us without our say, <laughs> if that makes sense. And it's, it's not like we do it for, or me, I didn't do it for the look at me, look at me, right. but it, it's noticeable. Right. People are like, oh, I'll give you a discount on your insurance. I'll give you it. it it's an entirely different world. And then it's gone. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, now where's my purpose? What am I supposed to do now? Create it. And I say that to military and, and civilian alike. Create your purpose. Don't mm -hmm. don't wait for it to fall into your lap. Find a need and fill it. Mm -hmm. And there's your purpose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And so. that, that in itself could be life-saving when there's something still worth fighting for, living for, really, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I wanted to just, you know, kind of wrap it up here with you and, and talk a little bit. First of all, your timeline blows my mind. Yeah, I just, I, I don't want to gloss over the fact that, you know, these life-changing moments have only been in just the last couple of years. And I just want to commend you for, just kind of like igniting that energy and turning it around, you know, as fast as you did, to be honest with you, to hear that you were just discharged just a few years ago and you're already kind of on there. Like that, that's momentous right there. And if you haven't been congratulated for doing that, like I'm, I'm telling you right now, like good for you for doing that. Cause sometimes people, it takes some time and it's no judgment against them, but when somebody can just like step into that and just go with it and run with it. Like that's pretty powerful. Um, and it's, I'm sure it's been meaningful for a lot of people that you've run across 
um, that you were that you have done that, um, and hopefully it, it inspires other people to realize that you know um, healing and surviving and moving on isn't something that is unattainable or something that needs to take a long time. If it does for you, it does, um, but it also can be something that can be. I mean, this feels really spontaneous. Like this feels fast to see two, three years, you know, four years from nearly dying to, you know, now being a, an advocate. I mean, you look like you're doing okay. I mean, I don't want to make any assumptions because, <laughs> you know, your hair is clean and you've got a sweatshirt on. <laughs> but I would imagine from what I've seen that like you feel good about where you've, you've, you've come to at this point. Right. I do. I do. And, and my mommy commends me all the time. I love oh, good. my mom. I, okay. Good. I, uh, I appreciate the kind words and I think it has been motivating for some, but I got to be honest, I caught some breaks. I caught some breaks along the way. Um, and part of that kind of adds into why I'm sharing what I am because I didn't necessarily do anything to get to where I am in the sense of, um, I don't know. I, if, if I put on a linear timeline, the date of me almost dying to three years later, which the anniversary just passed actually, um, I just didn't stop. Right. Like I didn't, I had such a dry, I had some setbacks obviously, which I think is very important to mention. I didn't get from, from almost losing everything to the house and everything that I have now in three years without some setbacks, some hard ones too. But there were some days where my only success was just not quitting. And I had to find, I had to find power in that because I was so close to quitting so many times that today I didn't, and that was good enough. And then tomorrow I'll do something. And if I didn't get that done, I still didn't quit. And I just kind of kept that mentality with everything that I do still going forward. I'm always moving forward, no matter what happens. If there's a roadblock, I'm going to kind of side hustle and, and go around it because we don't have any other choice. And that, and that, that has, I have this like uh this unused energy deep inside me where my recovery and, and getting to where I have could have taken 10 years, but what else would I have done? Watch everything on Netflix. Like I, I can't function that way. I have to be doing something and moving forward or in my life, I feel like I'm moving backwards and mm -hmm. I can't, can't do that. So I do just take the small successes as they come. Yeah. I did. Yeah, I, I would try and avoid grandeur thinking in the beginning, just mm -hmm. today, focus on today, focus literally whoever walks into your sight of vision and nothing outside that. Because mm -hmm. that's what it takes sometimes. No, oh, that's great. That's <laughs> so what do you do? You know, what's your day job? Um, we talked a little, I know a little bit about it, but you know, let us all know because because you have I've introduced you as like you're a comedian like at the front of this and so not my usual guest um, so I am a comedian but that is not pay the bills um, <laughs> now they're just podcasting that. by the way <laughs> yeah I, I've I've gotten paid to do comedy um, but it's kind of morphed into some other things that I'll be working on with the future in the future to help veterans and veteran nonprofits. Um, but I do have a, the good old nine to five. I work for the state VA in Minnesota with education benefits. So like we had kind of discussed earlier, the majority of my job revolves around helping veterans, current service members and their family members in college. But very often I have a veteran or service member come to me and have a question about their benefit or their payment. When in reality, the root cause of their question is, I'm, I lost my job. I need to find more money 
or I'm about to get kicked out or my wife's about to leave me. Um, and so that kind of grew my passion. I've always had a, a passion for the veteran community because they're my people. We're, we're cut from the same cloth, but this really grew to finding out how I can help. And so I, I'm, I'm always sending veterans to somebody, go talk to this guy, go talk to the, there's always things out there. And I've started to build that into something that might morph into a business later down the road for helping veterans kind of find resources and connect them with the civilian community. Cause it, it, it's not a job as much when I like, it's my calling. It's what I was, I was meant to do. Um, so yeah, my day job's pretty cool. Surrounded yeah. by veterans, working with veterans. Although we're doing this at home thing because of COVID. I think I'm running on seven months working from home and uh, it's brutal. <laughs> Especially for it's somebody brutal. that I'm sure is naturally outgoing, right? <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I have a cat for a coworker and then my son stops by for school every once in a while, but <laughs> <laughs> And you're in rural Minnesota, right? Like, I think that's what you said in an email. Yeah, I use that term. I don't know. They, the people out here don't call it rural, but I, the town I live in has less people than the high school I went to in San Diego. <laughs> okay, that's rural. <laughs> yeah, it's a little small, but well, it's, it's where I need to be to heal too. Yeah. Out totally. in nature a lot and quiet, definitely. Yeah, cool. Well, the boundary waters are one of my uh, wish list items to a friend that I had that lives up in that area was talking about him. So I looked that up. So it's one of my things I'd like to do is to go canoeing or kayaking um, up in that territory. So it's not a terrible place to have to quarantine, you know, for no. a pandemic. If you, if you like the outdoors, it's awful. If you hate the outdoors. And my little grocery store had this, the shelf stock the whole time. So it's hard to complain with that too. Cause yeah. I know people in California back home didn't have such luxuries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, <that's... laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, Jonah, it's really been awesome to talk to you. And actually I look forward to um, possibly having you back on in a bit when you're able to get your, um, your other program that's up and running for vets. I appreciate you sharing, Absolutely. you know, your story. Uh, you know, not everybody has an ability or desire to, you know, to be transparent about, you know, the things that we struggle with and stuff, but um, it is important when we can. I believe that um, those of us who can do that should, because it does, like you said, it, it helps, you know, let somebody else out there know that they're not alone with this. Right. And, um, and so I think it is, you know, lending a voice to this, um, to this particular issue. And, and I appreciate the video. Like I said, I'll, I'll get a link in there so that people can actually watch that and see what you did. It is a little bit funny in it, like, you know, making fun of it. But I think that if you're the person that's been doing the push-ups, you're just kind of like, oh, it's not what I meant. <laughs> but right. um, it raised awareness. It caught my attention, which was the point. And I think that that was really powerful that you did that. Awareness so. about the awareness. <laughs> yeah. Awareness about the awareness and maybe yeah, do something different. <laughs> I'm glad it did. Yeah. And, and it's changed. There, there's people trying different things now. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad it's made that impact and I, I, I'm going to be doing more. So people will hear from me more. We're going to be changing the world one community at a time, one veteran at a time and their families and it'll just grow. Mm -hmm. We have lots of positivity to spread, right? Yep. Totally. Awesome. Well, thank you. Really do appreciate meeting you and getting to know you and, and you having you spend some time with me to talk about this very important thing. So. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Cool. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiquiraconi.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. 
Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kurkoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.